So good evening, church. Tonight is Wednesday, April 3rd, 2019, and the title of tonight's message is Giving a Lot. Come on, someone say a lot. A lot. Come on, we've heard some pretty spectacular messages in this church lately, right? Yeah. We learned, we talked uh, Sunday about the Father's business. Have you been putting those kings under your foot this week? Who's been putting kings under their foot this week? I have. All right. We're going to get some audience participation today. We're, we're family here. And uh, we're going to grow together. We're going to fight together. Uh, we're going to struggle through hard times together. How many of you are a part of the Monday night marriage enrichment? Amen. How's it going putting that into practice? Abigail's and the balls. Yeah? Yeah? There's some fruitfulness in the marriages coming out of this church. Pastor Wade, he said that if this church puts into practice just the flow or just the Abigail and the ball traits and the concept of easership, it would be something that the face of this earth has never seen. And this is exactly what God is leading us into. Last service, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords speaking to this body spoke some very, very pointed things. Now, we're experiencing amazing things in this church. And tonight, we're going to experience even more beautiful things. But let's review what the Lord's been speaking the last, uh, the last service uh, and up to today. So this past Sunday, before we ever got to the word that was phenomenal about putting those kings in our life to death that have previously had dominance over us, The Lord spoke and he said, a bruised reed he would not break, that a smoldering wick he would not put out, that he was looking to raise up men of righteousness into oaks that were broken and contrite before him, and that there was an enemy who was mounting a storm, that there was opposition that was coming, and that he was working through our congregation to strengthen those who had put themselves in the Lord's hands and disposal with a humble heart and a humble spirit. Seemed like the Lord continued that w- same vein, that same kind of word, with the second prophecy that came forth on Sunday morning. It it talked about having a haughty spirit and an arrogance about you. You won't be able to stand before the King of Kings. And the encouragement with that prophecy was to crucify the haughty spirit, to crucify the arrogance inside of us so that we could be steered and so that we would not die in the desert, that we would be able to be led into the promised land. That kind of reminds me of Nehemiah chapter 9. It's talking, the Lord is talking to his people and it says that he told them to go and take possession of their inheritance. Now that, that sounds like prosperity to me, but the thing that got into the, into the way of them actually being prosperous in God's eyes was that they were arrogant and that they were stiff-necked. And so tonight, let's re- as we revisit that, let's make sure that we're crucifying those attributes inside of us, that we're crucifying that sinful nature that does not belong in men and women of God, and that we are walking in humility, and we're walking uh, uh, before the Lord without pride, without arrogance, and without being stiff-necked before Him, that we're easily steered by the Spirit of God. Reflect on the things that the Spirit of God is saying to this church. Reflect on them. 
Play over in your mind, over and over again, what is God saying to me? Because those prophecies are what bring us to our subject tonight. With that mind, turn with me to Leviticus 5. We're going to pick up in the first verse. Come on, say there when you're there. there. Man, I love me some Leviticus in the nighttime. We, we are the kind of church that loves the law. We love the Torah. And there are beautiful truths that we're going to find in it tonight. So Leviticus 5, verse 1. If a person sins because he does not speak up when he hears a public charge to testify regarding something he has seen or learned about, he will be held responsible. And the law is a beautiful thing. From the very beginning, we have a precedent that is set that we have an obligation to testify. Can you say testify with me tonight? Testify. With that in mind, this is a legal system as well as a law and a right way to live. It's meant to produce life. In God's eyes, in his government, it is a crime to not testify when you know, seen, or have learned about something that is life or death. We have similar laws even in pagan environments. If a man in this room is trained in CPR and somebody is dying here, you have a legal obligation to do something about it. Do you understand this? So Leviticus 5 lays out the, the scriptural precedent for us that we've seen a lot. And in life or death, whether we testify, is something that God is concerned about. That it is something that he has mandated from the beginning. That we have a lot to testify about. Have you seen and heard a lot from the Lord? Yes. Is it life or death? Yes. Are you more responsible than your average Joe walking down the street? Yes. We are a well-equipped church. The King of Kings speaks to us on a regular basis in a way that is amazing, that is astounding. Even in our service today, the God of all creation chose to speak to us. We have a lot to testify about. Wait a second, Judah. Are you saying to us that it's a crime in God's eyes not to testify to the truth that we know? Yes. That's kind of a heavy concept. That's kind of a very heavy concept. Flip with us to, over to Ezekiel chapter 3. Let's explore this a little bit more. I want to know what the law of God says. I want to know what's right and wrong in, in our God's eyes. I want to know what he considers a crime and what he considers righteousness. When you get to Ezekiel chapter 3, land on verse 16. Up there. At the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. Talking to Ezekiel. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to a wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to dissuade him from his evil ways in order to save his life, that wicked man will die for his sin, and I will hold you accountable for his blood. But if you do warn the wicked man, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his evil ways, he will die for his sin, but you will have saved yourself. Wow, Amen. what a mighty responsibility we have. Yeah, that's scary. Oh my goodness. You and I are watchmen on God's wall of righteousness. And we have a responsibility to call out truth where we see it and where we don't. Can somebody say watchmen on the wall? Watchmen on the wall. Let's continue reading and see what else Ezekiel has to tell us. 
Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and does evil, and I put a stumbling block before him, he will die. Since you did not warn him, he will die for his sin. The righteous things he did will not be remembered, and I will hold you accountable for his blood. But if you do warn the righteous man not to sin, and he does not sin, he will surely live because he took warning, and you will have saved yourself. Wow, so if we don't warn the, the wicked or the righteous when we see them falling into sin, then God says that their blood is on us. Man, that's heavy. That's really, really heavy. How does this play out? Not just... Warning in general, some, you know, concept of, wow, all those people out there. How does this play out in our own household? Well, if you see your spouse moving toward and into sin, then you have a responsibility to bring the truth of righteousness into their life and lead them away from the path that they would have taken. And if you don't, then their blood is on you. The same for your children. You see, if you love your children and you see them moving towards sin and you don't speak up, then when they grow up and when they go astray, then their blood rests on you. You're accountable for what they've done. That's kind of heavy. We've got to give a lot. Can somebody say that with me? We've got, got to, to give, give a lot. lot. Come on, turn to Proverbs 23. I'm there. 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 And when you get there, go to verse 13. There. Do not withhold discipline from a child if you punish him with the rod he will not die punish him with the rod and save his soul from death just in case you didn't get that punish with the rod in the first verse made sure to say it again yeah. for us in the second verse that was nice of him yeah twofold witness they act like they're gonna die sometimes though <laughs> no that's true yeah, everything's just a spectacle when it comes to discipline in our home. I mean, it's dramatic. Uh, but I want you to listen to this, church. Uh, you have every reason for confidence if you are forcefully advancing the truth of the standard of God's word in your household and in your children. Hallelujah. If, if we're just taking this scripture and we're saying, this is what the word says I must do because the, the adverse result is death, then and you're implementing it, and you're being faithful to it, you have reason for confidence. You have reason for confidence not only in what God is showing you you must do to raise children. It gives you confidence for not what, like how your spouse should be raising the children. And it should give you confidence in your children what they're going to accomplish. They have to go so much further than us. And it's going to take so much more discipline than uh, probably most of us went through. This is something the Lord is refining in us. And it's so clear here in Proverbs 23 that you punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. Listen to this. You have absolutely no reason for confidence if you are watching your children act ungodly. 
You're sparing the rod and letting it slide uh, just a little bit, some of the time, or all of the time. You are being an accomplice to their death and their damnation. All of, of us who are parents in here, nobody wants to be an accomplice to their kid's death. No. Of course not. How much more their damnation eternally? We have to get this right. And it's so clear. There's not an interpretation that says, hey, speak gently to them. And then by osmosis or default, they'll eventually find the way. He says, no, you discipline them with the rod. You have to be forceful with this discipline. Discipline with your children has to be forceful. Say forceful. Forceful. I want to share a thought. How many times are we supposed to forgive someone? Anyone? Shout it out. 70 times 7. If we're to forgive people 70 times 7, we should discipline 70 times 7. Rep, rep this thing out. Rep it. Whenever your children are acting a fool, don't just let it slide because, oh, they're just children. 70 times 7. Correcting them. Pointing them in the way of righteousness. This is what's going to produce a harvest of righteousness in our, in our generations. And leave behind a legacy of righteousness that the world's going to be shaken by. But if we just let it slide because, oh, yes, it does say this. But my kid's so cute and they're learning and they, they got it right last time. They failed this time. No, discipline has to be something that is constant and forceful. We have a lot to give. Say a lot. So when you go home with your children, remember, you have a lot of discipline to give them. Come on, I see Alicia nodding back there. She knows what we're talking about. Saints, we have a lot to give. Much has been entrusted to us. We're not in a place where we have very little. We have more than your average person could ever be entrusted with. Not only do we have families that God has given us, wonderful godly wives that we treasure, that we're going to shepherd. But the nations are literally hanging on how we manage our homes, on how we respond to the teaching that has been given to us on Mondays, on the visions that have been set for the course of a year, course of a life. A lot has to come, a lot that we have to give. The things that we are entrusted with are precious. There's something that is worth fighting for. They're worth giving for. We have a lot to give. These things are a lot more serious than we think. When we think about how we discipline our children, we usually tend to be very, very disciplined, gung-ho the first once or twice. And then maybe the third or fourth time in the day that you're repeating the same thing, we all tend to get worn out, don't we? How many times have you started working on your Abigail and Abel cards and then you started to get worn out a week or two in? See, we have a lot to give. These are things that we can shake our heads yes about and that we can do for a little while. But the King of Kings is calling us to go further. He's calling us to a year of prosperity. He's calling us to rise in this house that our families will become stronger, that our vision would become stronger. We have a lot to give. We've come this far. Are you going to go further with us tonight? Yeah. Turn with me to John 8. We're going to pick up in the 42nd verse. While we're, turning, there. while we're turning to John 8, I want to remind you guys of something. You remember in Hebrews chapter 12 when it says that the Lord disciplines those that he loves? We were thinking about that. 
And um, we want to raise real sons and daughters of the house of God. And we want to love them as deeply and as well as we possibly can. In God's word, his law dictates that love equals discipline. And so when we get wrapped up in, oh man, but I'm, I'm not feeling like I need to enforce the rod right now. Well, that's called emotionalism. That's not called love. You see, your emotions are ruling you in that moment and not the love of God and the Spirit of God. So crucify your emotions in that moment. Don't be a willing party to your child's death. Don't watch them go to death. Love them enough to discipline them 70 times 7. If you'll forgive 70 times 7, then you'll love your children enough to discipline them 70 times 7 as much as it takes, even if it's three seconds after you did it. Love them enough to do it again. So if we have a responsibility to our own children or household, and our ministry radiates out of our house, and Leviticus 5 and Ezekiel 3 remind us that we have an obligation, we have a lot to give to testify to the rest of the world and those that he's calling to be sons of God. Do we have an obligation to the lost that are around us? To the representation that we give to the world? Our homes are what we are projecting to the rest of the earth of an image of Christ. Pick up in verse 42 with me. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and now am here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. Jesus is not just speaking here about hearing. He's speaking about hearing with the intent of obeying. We've had teaching after teaching about how when the king of kings speaks about listening to his word, it's with the intention of guarding it inside of you, taking it up and knowing his character, knowing his will, so that you may carry it out. Verse 44, he tells them, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, but there is no truth in him. We're going to stop here for just a minute. How was he a murderer from the beginning? In men's lives, how did he incite murder? Well, he started by creating a divide. And how did he do it? He did it by omitting part of the truth. And by not telling the whole truth. Keith is a counselor in here. One that, unfortunately, we've all needed a couple times. And in a courtroom for traffic violations yeah, or anything else. <laughs> what did they make you swear? To tell the truth? The whole truth and nothing but it. Why do we have to make people swear that? It's because we have a tendency to want to modify. We have a tendency to want to give a partial truth. We have a tendency to want to give just what we think will be received well. But you have a responsibility in this room to give a lot, a lot more than just a partial truth. We are sons of the living God. We are to represent our father in the whole truth. See, sons of the devil twist the words. They will tell you part of the gospel truth without the whole story. They'll tell you that the king of kings wants to take you into heaven. And that's the end of the story. But we know very well that twisting and giving half truths without the full story, that's deceit. In your life, are you a representation of Christ or are you a representation of another father? That's defined by whether we're giving a lot 
Or we're just giving the parts that we want to. Do you want to represent your father fully today? Yes! I do. We're going to keep going. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and a father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Jesus shared the truth, and the standard that he represented himself by was a reflection of his father, because he was the perfect image of a son. We want to ask you tonight, are you murdering men by giving them partial truths? Your sons of God, daughters of God in this room. Are you guilty of giving men and women a half representation of Christ? Of a half testimony? Of telling them half the truth of what God's testimony of the earth is? Because he is coming back, but he's coming back in power. He's coming back with reward and retribution in his hands. Are you giving a full testimony of God through your life, through your words? Are you just giving the world the parts that you find palatable, that you think that they will receive? Are you just correcting the things in your family that you feel like correcting in the moment? Are you giving them the whole truth and nothing but the truth? See, we've got a lot to give. In this room, each of us have a great deal of things and have been put at our disposal. And they're wonderful, they're beautiful. And just like Jesus was a perfect representation of his father, everything that father offered, he represented to the world. Are you taking up everything that is being offered to you now? Are you eating at the king's table? Are you strolling through a buffet line, choosing what you like and leaving what you dislike? In this room, when you hear messages, when you hear truths, when you hear words from the heavens, when there was a prophecy in the service today, Did you select the parts that you found comfortable while ignoring the parts that you didn't? The whole truth, the whole representation of God is everything that he has to offer. Everything that is at his table. The bitter, the sweet, the easy in the moment, and the incredibly painful. And that's because what we consume, the what we represent, is the testimony of God on the earth. And we cannot be guilty of murdering men by giving them half-truths. Our families, our way of life, our vision must be the whole truth of God. And we can't accept anything less than this. We want to encourage you this evening that each of you have your own unique individual callings. And yet you're a part of a body of Christ that necessitates that you be attached to the living organism. And it is not possible for you to come into a house And ignore the parts of that house that you don't wish to imitate. It's not as if you get to go into a buffet line. Or you're walking into a restaurant and you decide, I would like this, but I want you to substitute this. I like this part of your teaching, but I don't really want to follow this way with my children. I think I'm going to modify and somehow I'll probably get my own own results that I want. I get to pick and choose. No, the King of Kings has called you to one way of life. When you master what has been given to you, you have the ability to add to it, to cause it to grow. But that is not in place of taking on everything that is at your disposal. Because the King of Kings brought you here because he wants you to be a proper witness and a testimony. Not a murderer of men's souls. Because you choosing to live as a half representation, choosing to live on what you have had in the past and not growing in the continuing revelation of Christ 
is presenting an immature version of Jesus to this world. Do you want to represent a mature version of Jesus to this world? We have a lot to give. You guys ready for a condensed truth? Sons of God are defined by their ability to hear the word of God and to put it into practice. To hear the word of God and to implement it in their lives. To hear the word of God and to obey it. Over and over and over again. You hear a good word and you put it into practice. You hear a good word and you crucify what you've been doing and you go after the truth. That is what defines sons of the living God. It's time for us to do this and to get this right, church. It's time for us to step into sonship. Do you agree? Yes. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 22. Verse 10, then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to to be holy. Man. Let me ask you something. What trajectory are you on tonight? What pathway are you on? Because according to Revelation chapter 2, the Word of God is content on its own to let you go on that path if that's what you want for your life. If that's the path that you want, then the Word of God is okay with you going on that path. Let me tell you something. Real sons of God are risen up in this place. This is the place where real sons of God grow into constantly doing right. Learning to implement the teaching. Letting it define your life. Changing what you were and becoming something different. That is what defines this house. If that's not your desire, then there are plenty of other circus churches that you can go to. There are all kinds of different places that are welcoming to anybody in any way of life, any belief system. But if you're after righteousness, and if you're after real holiness, with people and without, holiness with integrity, if that's what you're after, then go after it. And don't seal up the words of this book. Don't let your mouth be silent about this book. Speak up about the truth of God's word. Speak up about what's convicting you. Speak up about your deep convictions that the Holy Ghost has given you. Let your mouth sound like a trumpet. It's time to raise your voice. Behold, I am coming soon. It couldn't be any more imminent. At this moment in history, we are closer right now than we've ever been before. How pressing is this word? My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. Come on. Oh, implement it. Implement the teaching. Come into true sonship, guys. Implement the teaching. He's going to give according to what you have done. Go to verse 15. Outside of the city, outside of the promised land that we're moving toward, are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral the murderers, those who have concealed truth, 
the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Look, those who didn't testify to the truth, those who didn't implement the truth, those who didn't live the truth, those who are too cowardly to speak up about the truth, they're outside of the city. They're not inside. They're out of the kingdom. Cowards don't inherit the kingdom of God. Guys, we've got to give a lot tonight. Go to verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy, words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Come on, listen to me. Are you adding to the word of God to make your life easier? When it says plainly, discipline your children with the rod. Are you adding your own stipulations to what constitutes a actual spanking? Oh, maybe we're not there. How about taking away parts of the word of God that you think are distasteful to avoid conflict? Oh, and we justify it. Hey, I was just trying to get my foot in the door to really get at their heart. God does not need your help and your modifications of his word to make his kingdom go out. He does not need your help. His word is true and it is eternal. You read the word You do what it says. Look at this passage. If you do that, you are robbing yourself. You are literally stealing the share of the tree of life from you and throwing it in the trash. Come on, that's not going to be us. That's not going to be you, is it? No. Come on, it's simple. This is as practical as it gets. What Nick said is true. What defines a son of God? You hear the word and you do it. You hear the word and you do it. Come on. We have to put the kings of offense, the kings of apathy, the kings that are most of the time us underfoot tonight. We have to be forceful with it. If I don't like someone, which is none of you, but admittedly there are people I don't like. I'll sit with pastors later and receive my correction and then I will implement their course of actions that they set for me. But listen to this. If I don't like someone because they're a threat, I'm not saying I don't like their personality, I'm saying they're a, they're a threat. Like they're coming to hurt you or hurt my family or they are, they are wolves in sheep's clothing. How I intend and usually interact with that person, it's a person in this case, so I just ignore them. Is that anyone else? I'm just not going to acknowledge them. Like, yeah, they're nothing. They're nothing. I'm just going to ignore them. We have to change that attitude with sin. We have to change that attitude about areas where we know the Lord's trying to refine us and correct us. And we already know the truth because we're being given it on uh, almost every night of the week through our pastors and through fellowship. Like, we can't just say, oh, this is a problem with me. I'm just going to ignore it. It's really nothing. It doesn't really have a hold on me. It's not bothering me. It's just something that was there. No, we have to put it underfoot. We have to kill the king 
of whatever yeah. that sin is. You have to put it under your foot tonight. And I don't know what it is that's coming up in your mind right now, but I want you to be searching your hearts. Think about the prophecies where we started this sermon. Have you gotten to the point where you can just say, I'm not even going to think about my sin. I'm just going to try to catch one catchphrase in the sermon and then apply that to my life and then worship at the end and feel good. We, we, have, we have an obligation to get sin out of our life so that we have actual fellowship with the Lord yeah. and he can tell us the next thing that we can do. If you're still trying to like hide sin, you can't become a son of God because you're not going to know what he's telling you to do. Come on, how do we define sonship? You hear the word of God and you do what it says. Come on, we have a lot. And I mean a lot to give. We have a lot to sacrifice. We have a lot to look forward to. And we need to start working tonight. Come on now. Let's think about this for a moment. It is a Wednesday night. We're 30 minutes in. This is not the most exciting topics that we could possibly talk about. And yet, two services in a row, the Holy Ghost is saying that a broken and contrite spirit, I will help. A haughty, stiff-necked spirit, I will kill you in the desert. That fruit that is rising, that is bearing fruit, I will prune and make it even more fruitful. And Twigs and branches that refuse to bear fruit, refuse to grow and want to stay where they're at, I will cut them off and throw them in the fire. The reason the pastors are speaking on what they did on Sunday and we are tonight is because there is a great sifting that is going on inside of our body right now. That he, King of Kings is pushing you. He's pushing you saying, I want you to go all the way in. You have got a lot to give. You can go further. You can go further. I want to see you blossom. I want to see you bloom. I want to see you bear fruit. And the reality is that the King of Kings will not allow us to be obstinate forever. That he will purify his body and he will make it fruitful because he loves his bride. Because he loves his church. And he washes her and presents her to himself as holy. Our responsibility is to respond to what he is doing. We're going to read 1 Peter 4, the 12th verse. You can look at it on the screen. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trials you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. Have you struck out in faith and said, I'm going to go pursue this? I'm going to start this prayer meeting. I'm going to be faithful to study at this time, to do this, to do this. And every 10 days to a month, you come up with a new plan. But when it gets hard, you're quitting. You made a promise that you are going to kill that king that is offense in your life. Until all of a sudden, discipleship gets painful. Why are you acting surprised as if something strange were happening to you? The gospel lays it out from the beginning. That this process requires struggle. That you're doing something right when it's painful. That you're pressing into a new beginning. That cutting away wax, producing new fruit, toiling to produce life is a painful process. Any mother in the room can tell you that when you're producing life... It's not stagnant. It's not pleasant. But it's worth it when you see the joy of that coming out. In this room, have you grown stagnant? Have you allowed yourself to come up with new plans about how you're going to grow? About how you're going to progress but not follow through with them? Has your life been a repetitive new vision? 
and repetitive new inspiration and new courage, but you have failed to press through the painful toils of giving birth to actually see life? See, there are many branches on a tree that will start to bud. They'll start to want to flower. They might even produce a little green piece of fruit that never actually grows into what it's called to become. In this room, it's time that we narrow our focus. We have reason to be confident in what the Lord has told us to accomplish. When we are willing to stir up the courage to act daringly, to say, this is what He's called me to and I'm going to be faithful. That I'm going to do whatever it takes to see this fulfilled. You have reason to stir up confidence. You have reason to trust the Lord. But if you've been staring off into the distance, saying that I know I'm called to do this, and you're just dipping your pinky into it every once in a while to remind yourself that you could do it one day, that you will do it one day. You have no reason for confidence. Many of you husbands in the room have been telling me that you're going to have your wives involved in the body. You're going to have them involved in discipleship. And yet you tell me the same thing for months and you're always planning to do it but never acting. See, our families must grow. The Lord is demanding fruit from us. But we're not going to be allowed to talk about it forever. We're not going to be allowed to dip our fingers and our pinkies in the water. He's calling us all the way in. Do you understand that the Lord of all creation is calling you out tonight? He's saying that I want to see that ministry grow. I want to see you equipped for what you are called to do because lives are on the line. Because I have fruit in store for you. It's time that we get all the way in or we go home. There's no point in playing games with the Lord. He knows us. He is calling us out saying, you've got a lot to give, saints. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. Some of your hearts should be encouraged in this moment. You are pressing into the kingdom. You're dealing with painful trials. You're watching life be birthed. And it is a struggle to see it happen. And the God of all creation is saying, I am pruning you because you have been fruitful and I will make you even more fruitful. I am pleased with what you're doing and I am helping you in the direction that you're going. Glory is on the other side of suffering. Joy is on that end where we are going. That we must be crucified and that joy that is set before us will be made real on this earth. It will be made real in our families. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Being insulted for standing for the full truth. For being a full representation of a son of God. For giving a lot, not just a little, not just the parts that you thought, is a blessing from your father. Is a badge of honor that says, this one, this one is my son. Just like I was crucified, he was crucified. Just like I was abused, they are being abused because they represent me. For the spirit of God, the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Remember that Leviticus defines a criminal as a man who does not testify of what he has seen, what he has heard, what he has learned when life or death is on the line. So if you're going to suffer, don't let it be because you failed to act. Let it be because you suffered for Christ. You stood as a man of God. You stood as a family of God that could not be washed away by the waves. We have a lot to give in this room. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise your God. Somebody say hallelujah in this room. 
that you bear that name, that body, that representation of work, that character of God. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Judgment begins inside of our house. It doesn't begin with the world around us. Each of the parables in the gospels, they are about the house of God. They are about those who have belief in Him, who have congregated around Him. If that is true about us, what is true about this world that is around us? There is no chance. If it is hard for us to be saved, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinners? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. If it is difficult for us, if we must press in, if we must continue to do good and grow in our salvation, grow into Christ who is the head, what does that mean about the world around you? It means that it's already on fire. That if judgment is beginning with us and it's difficult, that this world is set ablaze, they just don't know it yet. How important is your testimony? How important is it for you to actually voice and speak? How is it important for your life, your actions, to represent what you're speaking well? See, I would rather you not speak at all if you're not going to represent it well. And yet, you have the ability to grow in ever-increasing way that represents Christ well in your deeds as well as your words. You were called for it. You were ordained for it. You have a lot to give. If judgment begins in the house of God and it's hard for the righteous to be saved then the question really is at this point in the message, how are you responding to the judgment that is happening in God's house? You see, when the word of God comes like a sword from your brother's mouth and pierces you right in the middle of your chest and it digs on down deep and it hurts you and it produces offense, in what world could you possibly be walking toward The tree of life. You are supposed to be being judged now. Responding like a son. And moving forward with a correction in your life. And joy in your heart going toward righteousness. And that celestial city. And that tree of life. And those gates of heaven. If you're not doing that. If when the word comes and judgment in God's house flies towards you. And it hits you right in between the eyes. If it produces a visceral reaction of offense that you just can't quit, then you need to repent tonight. You need to allow yourself to be judged in God's house because it's the only way that you're going to walk through the gates of the celestial city. It's the only way that you're going to walk in salvation till the very end. It's the only thing that's preserving your life. Is you receiving that correction with joy as a son of God, implementing it and walking forward in righteousness, staying on the path because of the correction that's corrected your wayward ways. That's the only way we're going to make it. Allow the judgment in God's house to permeate you tonight. And if it's not working out and if you're getting offended, offended and you're holding on to it, then in Jesus' name, repent tonight. Repent so that you do not fall away. Repent so that you stop not producing fruit in your life. You're on the path to destruction. Turn with us to Genesis chapter 14. Here. 
This message is designed for us to gain clarity on our responsibility to the Lord and to move forward to complete obedience to it. I hope that you guys are being affected by some of the things that the Holy Ghost is hitting on tonight because it's surely been affecting us. Holy Spirit is our great director. He is our commander. He is our Lord. He is what is directing us and moving in us to obey the will of God. And if he wishes to tell us that we must evaluate where we stand so that we do not fall, then by God, we are going to do it tonight. Every one of us, we are going to search our hearts to do whatever has to be done because we love you and we don't want to see you fall away. And it's not as if we haven't seen that before. The King of Kings is bringing us to this place because his judgment is near and his life is near to every soul that is in this room. So as we read Genesis 14, and Nick continues with it, it's time that you evaluate your heart and see where you stand. Because you would not be the first to think that you're standing firm while you're sitting in haughty confidence that is unreal and unfounded. Make sure that your confidence is founded in obedience tonight. Before we go there, I want you to realize something. There are way more people called to be in this room right now than are actually sitting here. There are so many more people that should be sitting with us right now. But you made it here. So that the Lord could speak something into your life that will make you more like his son. Come on. Do not stop halfway. For the, for the love of God. Made it this far. Don't stop halfway. <laughs> Don't just get through the word and then stop there. There is... Riches untold on the other side of obedience. Even more than that, our Father is on the other side of obedience. He's, he's right there, and you, you have made it this far. Like, you, you have made it here. Now, in the name of Jesus, don't stop. Like, you have to give a lot. You have to give a lot. Now, ready yourself to not find yourself halfway in this race, and then just stop. Or feel like, I've accomplished enough. That's a king that we need to put to death. Amen. We're about to read a passage in Genesis 14. It's a little bit of a lengthy passage, but I promise you it will pay dividends in your life if you can grasp what it's saying to us tonight. We're going to start in verse 8. Is everybody with us? Yes. Everybody with us tonight. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zor, marched out and drew up their battle lines in the valley of Sidim against Kedorlaomer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goim, Amphrafel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elasar. Four kings against five. That should put an immediate connection in your mind about what we've been studying for the past couple weeks. Come on. We got five kings in this passage. Now the valley of Sidim was full of tar pits. And when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into them, and the rest fled to the hills. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food. Then they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Lot was dwelling in Sodom. I thought Lot was, you know, good with Abram. 
I thought Lot was, was buddy-buddies with Abram. I thought Abram had taken him under his wing, was teaching him a thing or two. Weren't they family then? I, I really thought that they were. They, they were, were related. The same yeah. family of God? They were related, I guess. You can be buddy-buddy with one of the most righteous men on the planet and still be dwelling in a place in your heart and your state in life that you shouldn't be. I guess that's what we'll take away from that. Continue in verse 13. One who had escaped came and reported this to Abram the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great chief of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Aner, all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Do you remember what got Lot in this situation to begin with? Because right here, Lot, he has to be rescued by a whole group of righteous men. Do you remember when they're looking at land, Abram and Lot together, they're looking around, and something catches Lot's eye? And he's supposed to be being trained? He has an opportunity to be trained in righteousness? He has an opportunity to implement everything that his righteous uncle is trying to teach him. And something glimmering. So, no, I mean, he's, he's on track with most of the things in his life. I mean, he's implemented most, he's implemented a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Lot has implemented a lot of righteous things in his life. But there was still something that glimmered in his eye and drew him away. And now he's in a state where he has to be rescued. And not just once. He's got to be rescued over and over again. Let me ask you something. Are you finding yourself in a state where you have to be rescued by this church over and over and over again? You might have more of Lot in you than you think. Maybe you thought you were part of Abram's 318 trained men. But really... You're not all in. You've just been doing a lot. The turn in this message is that a lot is not enough. To do a lot in your life is not enough. You see, the Lord our God requires all. The Lord our God requires every portion of your life. The Lord our God will speak to you and say, you see that right there? You've given a lot, but I'm requiring that. I want you to change that. I'm going to help you move on that right there. And he calls you forward. And the temptation is to rest on your laurels and say, I have given a lot. Except that's not what defines those who are sons in the kingdom of God. What defines us is that we give all. And we do it over and over and over again. And today we give all. And tonight we give all. And tomorrow we give all again. And the next day we give all again. Because we're real sons of God. We're not just giving a lot. Giving all is what's required. Let's look at the difference between giving a lot and giving all. Focus in here. Apply it to your life. Look at Israel in the desert. Brought out of wicked Egypt. 
baptized in water, filled with the Holy Spirit, led into the desert, and they gave a lot. And they died. Giving a lot will kill you. Giving a lot will only lead to death. Let us sink in. Giving a lot leads to death. You have to give it all. We have a great example. But don't let that be your testimony. That you made it into the desert and you gave a lot. Because it's only going to lead you to death. Like Joab with David. Have you given a lot? And that you have fought for the Lord? You've bled, sweat, worked to see the kingdom of God established? See, Joab saw miraculous events. He and his brother Abisha stood and faced unimaginable odds to see Israel saved, to see the family of God saved. He was willing to fight for his body, fight for his church, fight for his kingdom. And yet, in Joab giving a lot, Joab did not give all. Joab still had his own agenda while he was sitting there. He ran alongside David many times. He fought the wars of the Lord. He bled for him. He contended with the enemy. He fought shoulder to shoulder with brother Israelites, just like the people you're sitting on your left and right with. But all the while, he hybrid his own interest. And that he would fight for the Lord as long as it aligned with what his vision for his life was. His vision for his children. What he wanted from his spouse. What he wanted out of life. He would fight for the Lord. He would see miraculous things done. And yet he still had his own plan for his life simultaneously. And he ended up being struck down by a righteous man. And his gray head did not make it to the grave in peace. In this room, are you giving a lot and yet disqualifying yourself by holding on to your own plans for your life and picking and choosing which parts you want to obey? Because it is possible for a righteous man to sacrifice much, but his righteousness not be remembered. It's not how you started this race. It's how you finish it. We cannot give just a lot like Joab. We must give all. The disciples, failed as they may be, they were men who failed when they were giving it all. Judas, he only ever gave a lot. He only gave a portion of what he thought was worth it. And if he ever overstepped those bounds, I bet he just took from the money bags for what he thought was his. Come on, we have to root that Judas a lot mentality out tonight. Come on. Because you're going to end up hanging from from a tree. You're going to end up uh, dead, burst open. In a field of blood. That's what giving it a lot leads to. You have to give it all. Ananias and Sapphira. I know. I know. That there are brothers in this room. That are living like Ananias and Sapphira. Yeah. They're giving. A lot. You're giving. A lot for the sake of Christ. While praising Jesus and in fellowship and saying that you're giving him all. And you have willing 
portions of your life. You, you have no, you know, no knowledge of portions of your life that do not belong to God. You're saying, you're praising. I'm next to you. We're, we're praising the Lord together and you're saying, Lord, you have all my life. You have everything. And you're just given a lot. Search your heart tonight. Search your heart tonight. You're giving a lot or are you giving all? The man who admits where he's at has the opportunity to have the King of Kings help him. But the one who stands in the presence of God and demands to claim that he's giving all why he's not deserves to be struck dead. And the Holy Spirit that fills you, that helps you, will also strike you dead for claiming to give Christ all while you hold in reserve your own agenda and own sin. It takes a lot to admit that you, you're not giving at all. But don't be a coward tonight. Don't be a coward. Don't be like Hymenaeus and Alexander who sold out, who were a part of the brethren, and then they sold out to the things of the world. They had only ever given a lot. They had never given all. And so when an opportunity presented itself, men, they turned on the people that they, they were once a part of. How they got there, they probably gave a lot and were satisfied with it. Oh, I've done this and this and this and this, and I'm, you know, I'm satisfied. I've been faithful. Have you ever actually given it all? Do you hear words coming from this church? Words that the, word of, or that the Lord is speaking to you and you can't hold a commitment for 10 days. Come on, how can we say, oh, I give it all, I give it all, I give it all. We sing it, worship service after worship service. Everything and nothing less, Lord. Everything and nothing less. But the minute that you walk out those doors and you're faced with your job or a fight with your family or you're faced with a computer or a phone or a conversation you should have, you sell out to the world. You're not strong enough to give a lot and make it out there. Because the Spirit of God will not go with a man who says, I will just give a lot. The Spirit fills a man who says, I'm giving it all. I don't even care about my life i say this is my life and what you choose to do with it let it be to your glory lord i don't want to be some great man lord i want to carry my brother's bags i want to wash their feet lord because it was never about me because i gave it all the day that i made my confession of faith come on do not be like hymenaeus and alexander who sold out we're going to rise from this place. But in this moment, let's take a couple of minutes just to pray. As people who are a part of one body, that are dearly loved by each of us, by your brothers, by your pastoral staff, take a moment to pray with your wife, with your children sitting to your left and right, and evaluate your own heart and decide whether or not you can risk death in the house of God. Because I don't want to see any one of you set on a course where God is determined to cut you off. I want to see you being pruned and us going towards life 
from this place. Father, we thank you for our family that is in this room. Jesus, we are not going to move on until we have responded to what you have already spoken. Jesus, we're asking that you would give us sober judgment. Lord, that you would cause us to evaluate our hearts, the directions that we are leading, our wives, our children. Lord, whether or not we are fully obeying the things that you have already called us to. Lord, we don't want to give you half-hearted measures anymore. We don't want to just give you a lot. We don't want to just give you what we feel like is a lot of effort. We actually want to belong to you and give you all in this house. We ask that you would consume us now. Lord, that you would show us what we must do to be saved, what we must do to continue to grow in you. Lord, that stagnation would not be what defines us, that we would not die in a grave, O Lord, but that we would continue to rise and meet you in the heavens. Second Chronicles 16 tells us that the eyes of the Lord are ranging throughout the earth because He wants to strengthen those who are fully committed to Him. Is there a soul in this room that says, I want to be fully committed to Him? Is there a soul in this room that is willing to admit, I have not been, but I want to be tonight? Then the God of all creation wants to strengthen you. He will strengthen you. That mighty right hand, that mighty arm will reach down to where you were at when you have been fickle. But you're willing to say, Lord, I'm smoldering here, but I want to be a blazing fire. I've been existing, but I want to grow and I want to go higher. He will move and make you an oak of righteousness. He will make you a mountain that cannot be shaken. In this room, He will lift your family up and He will repair broken walls. He will make you a strong, fortified city again. He is able to bring back the exiles. He is able to take children that are wayward and make them turn towards the right path. In this room, restoration and strength can be at hand. Caleb in Numbers 14 21st verse, he had a different spirit. Something in him withstood the world around him. While the rest of the world was giving their best effort, giving a lot, something inside of him was different. He said, nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt, in the desert, who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who is treating me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to. And his descendants will inherit it. Come on, the promises of God are not just for you. They're for you and your children. A different spirit is what's required even in the body of Christ. Even with the people sitting on your left and right, we must pursue a wholehearted kind of life. We must pursue a wholehearted devotion and ask the God of all the earth to strengthen us tonight because it is possible to be in this body and miss the mark. It is possible to have ventured out through Egypt, been baptized, been strengthened, fought the wars of the Lord and not make it. But right now, if you're willing to choose a different spirit, He will anoint you and your family. He will lift you through a desert no matter how far you have to go. No matter how many trials you go through like First Peter 4 told us about you will see victory. Do you want to see victory? Yes. Do you want to see children raised up in righteousness? Yes. Do we want to call out children that have gone wayward ways and call them back to the Son of God? Yes. Do you want to see your marriages strong in the Lord? Not just yes. existing. Yes. Strong in the Lord. Yes. We want to see the call of God fulfilled in your life. What the Lord of all creation is asking for you right now 
is that you just give him your all. Not that you be perfect. Not that you not be weak. That you give him everything that you have and let him make it more. Let him make it strong. Let him make you go through the desert and see victory and see giants fall. Hezekiah, during his reign in 2 Chronicles chapter 31, you don't have to turn there, we're going to talk about it. It says that in everything that he undertook in the service of God's temple and in obedience to the law and the commands in his own personal life, it says he sought his God and he worked wholeheartedly and so he prospered. Guys, you want to unlock the key to prosperity? You want to unlock the key? Then look at King Hezekiah in the very pinnacle of his reign. In everything he undertook. In both the temple of God here and in his family. Implementing the law. Implementing the commands. It says everything he undertook for God. He did it with all of his heart. Everything. And the Lord strengthened him. And he gave him the strength to do it. And he prospered in everything that he did. Guys, you can be like Hezekiah in the pinnacle of his reign. And you can do it to the end of your life. Yes. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And then he died. Come on, giving it all. We have to finish the work of giving it all. Just dying is giving a lot. Dying and forgiving them as you die, that's giving it all. Come on, we can't just stop at death. You might be breathing your last thing, but let it be something that promotes righteousness, that reflects the Father. That's what giving it all looks like. Stephen gave it all. Will you give it all? Come on now. The church at Rome in Romans 6 says, But thanks be to God that you used to be slaves. Say, used to be slaves. You wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. That teaching which they have been entrusted, you have been entrusted with as well. When we speak about wholehearted obedience, impress yourself to this. And this can be true about you as well. That you used to be a slave to these things. That I used to be a slave to this king. That I used to be a slave to offense. But no more in the house of God. You have been set free from sin. And have become slaves to righteousness. All in. Wholehearted obedience to righteousness. Paul in Acts chapter 20, he says the following words. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Guys, this is how you want to finish. This is the kind of life that you want to live. I haven't hesitated. I haven't hesitated at all to proclaim the whole gospel, the whole word. You've seen it in my life. You've seen the way that I lived. I didn't spare anything. I'm innocent of all of your blood because I haven't just preached to you. I've lived it and I'm finishing strong. And it doesn't matter what happens from here because my conscience is clear before my God. I'm not going to see you again, but my conscience is clear because I finished the work and I did it strong and I did it with the guidance of the Holy Ghost and I wasn't ashamed of his word. I proclaimed his truth fully. Paul was a man who gave it all. Come on, stand up with us. Stand up with us. Listen to this church. Not that I have already attained all this 
or have already been made perfect. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize that God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Come on, church. We are going to press on. We're going to give it all tonight. It's going to take every bit of life in your body. But I promise you, the give it all will end in failure. Or, well, the give it a lot will end in failure. But giving it all is going to end in an eternity of fruitfulness with our King. Yes. The next verse says, All of us who are mature take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. I know some, some of you walked through these doors tonight and you thought differently about what we preached about tonight. But after the testimony of the Word and the conviction of the Holy Ghost, I know it's becoming clear. I know it's becoming clear to you. Now the ball is in your court. The ball rests on you. What are you going to do with the goodness, the revelation, that blessed conviction of the Holy Ghost that says, you've been giving a lot. I'm calling you to give all. This is what I need you to do tonight. This is what I need from you. Saints, don't let tonight pass you by. This is a gift of God to us. Don't let tonight pass you by. Don't walk out of this place with the lot mentality. It requires all. All. 16th verse. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. What we are advocating for is what the king is advocating for. That what you have already been called to, what you are already able to do in his power and his strength, that you might see that attained. That you would not fall short of what you are called to accomplish in your generation and your life. Some of you are going to have excuses running through your mind that say, I've already come so far. I'm trying so hard. I've given more than most. Or I'm just passing through and happen to be here for an evening. But I want to tell you that if the King of Kings ordained that you happen to be here tonight, it's because this word is for you. That however far you have come up to this point, that the King of Kings is calling us higher. That fruitfulness will be circumcised so that it may be more fruitful. That dead areas of your life must be cut and new things must be grafted on. That no one is exempt. When the King of Kings speaks, we have a choice. It's either to obey the Lord of all creation and bow to His will, respond to His will, and judge ourselves now in His presence, or face the judgment of eternity to come. Because the deeds of a righteous man will be remembered by our Father based upon how we finish our life. I say finish your life growing in the kingdom. Finish your life with ever-increasing strength. Finish your life with the hand of God moving on you now. Can somebody in the room feel the Holy Ghost pricking your heart? Holy Ghost, we say now, we want to respond to you. We want to produce fruit and righteousness. 
Lord, we are not going to shield ourselves with fig leaves and wax. We are going to respond to what you're doing. And we ask that you would help us, O oh Lord, in our own weakness. Jesus, we want to give you all. We do not want to fail in our calling. We do not want to fail in what you have ordained us to do in this life. We want our children and the world around us to be affected by your power. Lord, we're asking that right now you might move on us and bring about hope. Then you would bring about strength. That you will cause us to rise higher than we were before. Bring us up onto that mountain. Bring us up into your strength and your clouds. Move on us, Jesus.